The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, hey, this is Josh Al, creator of The Piercer Painting, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Did you see your mom this weekend? Sure and tell her, Satan, Satan, Satan. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 229. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 28th. My name is Matt Baum. That is at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not slicing caustic sausages with my Freddy glove, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. Sausages? Yeah, apparently sausage and ham causes cancer. Oh, yeah, carcinogen. Yeah, carcinogenic caustic sausage. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not carving Bindi Irwin's portrait on my pumpkin, true story, I'm the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Because nothing brings terror to evil spirits like Bindi Irwin. As always, we are broadcasting live on Periscope. You can find the feed by downloading the app, signing in with your Twitter, and if you follow us on Twitter, we'll pop right up and boom, you're watching the magic live, unedited, and probably not safe for work. It's time again for this year's Halloween Metal Show, where you're going to hear spooky reviews of Black Magic number one and Karnak number one. After that, we'll run screaming through a dark graveyard as we review 10 more of this week and some of last week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. And after that, We'll wrap about a couple of next week's comics in the middle of a seance when we visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. And finally, we're stepping back into the comic studio to interview the fierce are fading creator, Josh Howells. So strap on your possessed flying V, sharpen the spikes on your shoulders, and let us hear your best metal scream. Let's hear it, Joe Patrick. That's all right. And then we can talk about this week's Listen up, Periscopers. Listen up, Internet. We're going to talk about the Star Wars trailer. All right. And I know some of you babies don't want to hear about the Star Wars trailer. Smash your computer now. You should just throw it out the window (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Fill up the tub and drop your computer in it now. Because we need to feel our feelings about Last week, Disney released the third and final Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens trailer during Monday Night Football forcing millions of nerds around the world to watch sports for the first time. Some of us were just watching to watch. Matt, how many times did you watch the trailer, and how many times did you cry? I got misty. I got a little I misty. I definitely did. I will say I watched it two times, and then I stopped, because I realized after the second time, I'm starting to figure a lot of stuff out that I didn't want to know. Kind of. Yes, kind of. That's where I got. I like all of a sudden I was like, oh, oh, I know who the bad guy is. I know what's going And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, crap. I know what's going on. We don't know who the bad guy is, though. <laughs> I think I do. And I think they made it pretty freaking obvious in that trailer who it is. OK, so there's Daisy Ridley's character, Ray, who was prominent in this trailer. Mm-hmm. And and it's very unclear how she's connected to anything because dude, the whole thing is like, I'm no one. I'm no one. She's Leia's daughter. Oh. They hit her away. Didn't even think about that. Come on, man. Come on. What is it? Your first day? Come on. She even looks like her. Meh. <laughs> Meh. 
I think that it was made clear in this trailer that John Boyega was definitely a real stormtrooper that ran away. Yeah, I think so too. Not like a guy in disguise like we thought for right. a while. I don't think he's ne- necessarily the Jedi either. He's got the lightsaber. Uh-huh. He's holding a lightsaber. He's not very good with it. How do you know he's not good with it? He looked, didn't do a very good job. He looked like he was shocked to be holding it. He looked like he was desperate and scared. All you see is him holding it like this. I'm telling you, I don't think he's a Jedi. Mm, man, I don't know. I don't know. I read a really interesting theory, and we should stress that none of this is fact. No. We are all just no. spitballing because we right. don't know what's happening in Star Wars. We only know what we saw in the trailer. But very noticeably, Luke has been absent from not only the trailers, but like promotional material, they showed him posters. In I don't. They showed him in the trailer. They didn't, though. Yeah, they did. I mean, there's one scene in one of the trailers where it shows a guy with a robot hand touching R2. Touching R2-D2. But that. And wearing a mask. He wasn't wearing a mask. Yep. He wasn't wearing a mask. Hooded figure. You see it kind of lean over and it's got some kind of mask on. He wasn't. No. I'm telling you. No. That's Luke. No. Yep. Well, I know that that's Luke. That's Luke. Well, anyway. You want Matt Bomb's prediction? You can give me your prediction. Why we don't see Luke in any of the trailers. Because you think he's evil. No. I don't think he's evil at all. Okay. I think he's going to get killed very early by the evil son of Han and Leia, who is going to continue the work that his grandfather was doing. I think he comes to Luke and says, I figured it out. I know what you were doing and I'm on your side. We're going to do it together. And Luke's like, no, you got it all wrong, man. You're evil. You've been twisted. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. And he's like, I knew it. You're weak or whatever. Yada, yada, zap. Dead Luke puts on the mask, takes the Darth Vader mask from Luke and says, I'm going to continue what you started, grandfather. I don't think that'll happen. You watch. (laughs) I don't think that'll happen. I read an interesting theory that kind of theorized like. Which theories tend to do. Yeah. They theorize. Well, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's been 30 years. Why didn't Luke start creating a new Jedi order? Right? Mm-hmm. Why didn't he go out and start recruiting new force sensitive kids and, and rebuild the temple and all this stuff? Why didn't he do that? I have a feeling he's training one of them. The theory stated that because Vader killed the Emperor and then died, that there was no Sith to balance out Luke. Mm-hmm. And there always has to be a balance. And so that Luke was kind of like conflicted with the dark side and the light inside him for the last 30 years. And he's been in hiding. I believe it. And that's why like in they, they briefly flash on Leia in the trailer and she just looks like Leia. She doesn't look like she's embraced her Jedi. Not at all. And, and so maybe that's it. Like maybe Luke ran off and put himself in hiding because he knew that he was like one bad day away from Michael Douglas and falling down. <laughs> Maybe. Or he took Kylo Ren with him because he was worried about him and saw the potential in him and tried to train it out of him. I don't know. Yeah, buddy. I don't we'll know. We'll see. Enough of this. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. The trailer was great. We all agree. It looked awesome. I think it gave away a lot of stuff, but I also think it maybe muddied the water a little more. That's too. just it. I don't think it actually gave away anything. It just showed a bunch of people. Sure. In completely disconnected moments. We don't know how it's all connected. We don't know no. any of the context. No. This is all just us saying, but what if Luke is Yoda? Yeah, that's all. It's all in our own minds. Truly wonderful, the mind of a child is. Joe Patrick, what do you love more than comic books? You're supposed to say new comic books. Oh, (laughs) 
New comic book. Yes, of course. Yeah, that works. That was great. We just work on the fly like this. Well, I got some bad news. Boom Studios, a studio that we both like very much and have enjoyed a lot of titles from, is going to be cutting back on their new titles in 2016. Flip Sablik, who is the president of publishing and marketing, said in an interview with ICV2, Boom is going to be cutting their number of new titles by approximately 15% compared to what they did in 2015. He said, all major mainstream comic publishers are pushing out more titles, so we decided to swim upstream a bit by trimming back our line and really focus doubling down on our marketing and our positioning for each title, believing that a sniper-like approach would yield better profitability. And when we ran our 2016 projections, our thought process was borne out. The numbers didn't lie. What he's saying is, rather than throwing something new against the wall every week, we're going to focus more on some of the ongoing stuff to put some strength behind it. Sure. Mel Kahlo, who's the marketing manager, he went on to elaborate that this does not affect comics they are already running they're not cutting back on current running series they're just cutting which back. is good yeah because i don't want to see a, like some of the stuff we love and it's been fantastic and yeah. boom it really is killing it they're just saying not as many new things coming out next year what do you think more laser focus approach what do you think i think that's great i think it's excellent i think that a lot of these publishers and the marketing people behind these companies just have this instinct to like put as much stuff out as we can. Well, that's what they've always done. You know, fill as much rack space as we can with our crap. Yeah, that's I mean, that has been, I mean, the go to marketing procedure for every comic publisher. And it takes a very level headed kind of clarity to say, you know what? Less stuff and make it better. Right. The last time I remember something like that. Well, I mean, I guess maybe you could argue that Valiant is kind of going that direction. They, they do their core books and then one sort of ongoing event book. But I would say like this reminds me of like what Epic did in the 80s where they where Marvel said we're going to give some of these high profile creators their own little stories to tell. We're not going to worry about flooding a whole new universe. We're going to let them come with the stories as they have them and just have a few books out. Well, and I think it does the fact that Boom doesn't really have a, a shared universe right. to deal with, to even worry about. Yeah. In the same vein that Dark Horse and IDW don't, you know, they put out the books they want, they're disconnected, they're all creator-owned, and they can choose to to scale back in that way. Right. Uh, as opposed to Marvel and DC where, you know, if, if the book doesn't inform their ongoing line, then the odds are the audience isn't going to really be interested in it. Right. And I think this might make it a little tougher for some new creators that want to break into the business through Boom or whatever, but... They do owe it to the people that are already doing the work, that are putting out the quality, to focus on that. Well, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with them being more discerning about... No, absolutely not. ...about what they put out. If anything, it'll ho hopefully make the cream rise to the top, as it were, you know? There you go. I'm going to have to pretend to care about this, aren't I? You're not... I don't know if you're going <laughs> to... DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which is a spinoff of the Arrow and the Flash shows, is bringing a character called Connor Hawk to life on television. Hooray? Question you mark. Hooray? <laughs> Except it's not Connor Hawk. I know. Comicbook.com has learned that while a character called Connor Hawk will be appearing on the show, the character is not going to be the son of Ollie Queen and Sandra Hawk. Just has the same name. Sure. Cousin, nephew, buddy, 
The report on comicbook.com, which was confirmed by Warner Brothers, the CW's parent company, stated that the network is currently casting for an African-American or biracial male to play Connor, and the character is described as someone who, quote, puts on the uniform of a missing hero who once stood for justice and hope. Why name a character Connor Hawk if it's not going to be Connor Hawk? Let's, a- let's address. Why even bother? Let's address something first. A lot of people say it's not fair for us to project our love of a comic book character. I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing this out there before I get into it. It's not fair for us nerds to project our love of a character that is going to be used in a completely different way, like in a movie, whether they're recast or they're not somebody's kid or something like that. And people say that's not fair. Give them a chance. Let's see what they do. Sure, sure, sure. We're going to make the Avengers movie, but right. Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch aren't mutants. Right. Exactly. Hank Pym didn't build Ultron or whatever. Sure, sure. You know, but, but I think that's totally different than saying I have this character. It's a I've created a new character. Percent different than this. This Connor Hawk, if for those who don't know, was the son of Oliver Queen and Sandra Hawk, right? And he is biracial, but he's Asian and white, not black. <laughs> well, but I mean, so what? That doesn't matter so much. I'm just much. getting into differences. That's yeah. all. But he is first and foremost their He's son. He's the son of Oliver and Queen. And became Green Arrow for a while and is arguably one of my favorite Green right. Arrows. This is so far away from the character. This is like this is like the Godzilla movie that was made in the 90s. Where it's like, yeah, it's a big monster, but it's not Godzilla. It's more like a dinosaur. And it has babies. You know, like it's just don't call it that. I've got Call an idea. Him anything else. My guess is he's going like something's going to happen to Arrow and he's going to put on the Arrow costume. Well, but this, like Arrow is not in Legends of Tomorrow. No, I, get, so. I know. That's why they can do it here while he's missing on his show and doing something undercover or something. But, see, I don't think it's going to have anything to do with Oliver Queen. That would be the only reason I could think why they use this name. That would be yes. the only reason I can come but up with. But here's what kills me the most. Legends of Tomorrow is a show about time travel. Yeah, so literally you could do whatever you why want. Why couldn't he be Oliver Queen's son from the future? Why not? I'll it, tell you why. Because the people that are writing this don't care about the source material. They don't care. See, that's not true. Like, if I, they did, they would do it right. They do make some baffling decisions. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's not they don't care. Maybe they don't even know. Maybe they don't know or care enough to find out. They just went, uh, give us a name of somebody. What about Connor Hawk? Good name. I like it. Let's go with it. <laughs> I know how you I know how you feel about the CW shows, but they really are they make their own choices. They're setting their own continuity and that's all well and good. This is a, a baffling, baffling choice. And I do think they care about the source material. They just aren't beholden to it. And that's one way to go. It's not the way I'd go, but it's one way to go. It's ridiculous. But other than the the fact that the show is about time travel, they already set up Sandra Hawk on Arrow. Yeah. She's a known quantity. Yeah. She appeared on the on the show last season or the season before and they teased that she had a kid. <laughs> this this plot is already written. What I know. are you doing? It I I don't know. I don't care. I I'm not a fan of any of the CW shows. Stuff like this and it's stuff like this is not the main reason. I just don't think the shows are very good. But stuff like this certainly doesn't help me get excited for it. Let's move on. <laughs> Please. Joe Patrick, you've been whining about not having a battle axe for a while now. I've been desperate for it. And I have got some good news for you. Valiant is going to supply retailers with customized battle axes for the launch of the Wrath 
of the Eternal Warrior number one. In honor of the new series by Robert Vendetti and Raul Allen, Valiant Entertainment will be providing select comics retailers across North America with custom engraved full-size battle axes in advance of the first issue's November 18th launch. The axe will be emblazoned with the Wrath of the Eternal Warrior logo on the blade, and it stands 27 inches tall. These are real-world replications of the Eternal Warrior's signature weapon. Axes will be provided free of charge to shops that have signed up for Valiant's retailer-exclusive program. Joe, I know we're both excited for the new book, is sending weapons to comic shops a good idea? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of weird gimmicks, right? I've seen black armbands. I've seen squishy watcher eyeballs. Sure, sure. Deadly weapons is a whole new ballgame. Now, to be fair, we both worked in a comic shop that sold swords for a little while there. It's true, we did. We used to chase each yeah. other around with the Scorpion King sword, remember? But you know what? <laughs> they never just sent us swords as a promotional item like, here you go. It's true. Watch the Scorpion King. Here's a box full of swords. <laughs> here you go, kids. It's like what they used to do, like miniature baseball bat night at the uh, <laughs> yeah, at the, the ballpark. At and everybody got drunk and started hitting each other with baseball bats. And they're like, this might be a bad idea. <laughs> Is it going to get even one retailer? To change their orders for the Eternal Warrior. I don't know. I just pray. And I don't want anyone to get hurt, of course. No, no, no. But I am looking forward to that Gawker article about <laughs> a retailer getting into a customer and just like burying the Eternal Warrior's axe <laughs> deep in his neck. You know? Valiant CEO going, I, there's no way we could have seen this coming. <laughs> I bet it's a real treat being in the Valiant offices on that Woo. day. I love it though. I think it's cool as I kind of want one. I do too. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where the first 50 people to sign up for the THN retailer exclusive program will receive a real functioning and engraved hand grenade, Joe's signature weapon, signed and numbered by Joe himself. Every Sunday, the eternal warrior, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Joey, what are you worried about us asking the nerds this week? Wrath of the eternal warrior. <laughs> This week's question inspired by the Eternal Warrior. What is your favorite geeky marketing gimmick? Now, we already did the variant cover question. So this is more about that weird piece of free junk or cool marketing idea tied to a nerdy property that you love. You have until five o'clock Central Standard Time this coming Friday, November 6th. To get us your answer, you can call and leave a message using Skype. You have until 5 o'clock Central Time this coming Friday, November 6th to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle's two at a nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. And if you're feeling frisky, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. I use my eternal warrior axe to cut your call in half. If you need more time, go to the THN web forums and hit up the question of the week section right to your heart's content. There's a lot of like-minded folks there. They all have excellent opinions. Heady and I nerds. enjoy talking to every one of them. Heady nerds. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast.
It's review time in the ziggurat, which means it's time for Matt and I to cut the tops off of two of this week's comics, scoop out their guts, and separate the seeds so we can roast them with a little cayenne, sea salt, and olive oil. Delicious. And then carve scary faces under their covers. Matt, was your comic a trick or a treat? Ooh, see what I did there? Huh? Halloween? Yeah, I get it. This week I read Karnak. Actually, last week I read Karnak, number one from Marvel, written by Warren Ellis, with art by Gerardo Zafino, 32 pages for $3.99. Warren Ellis seems to have developed a reputation for breathing new life into B-list characters. Joe and I both loved what he did with Moon Knight, although it may not have been quite enough to lift Marvel's Batman to A status. Here, he's tasked with revitalizing one of my favorite Inhumans, Karnak. You remember Karnak, right? Black Bolt's cousin, skinny guy, big head, green suit, never actually exposed to the Terrigen Mists. In fact... He's just a badass kung fu philosopher. What do you mean he was never exposed to the Terrigen Mist? He was never. He's an inhuman. He was never exposed to the Terrigen Mist. Look it up. Why? He's just a badass kung fu philosopher who trained himself to see the weakness of all things. Stanley and Jack Kirby created him back in 1965. He called himself the Shatterer for a little while. Is this ringing any bells? Yeah, totes. <laughs> well, Karnak is back as a part of Marvel's Let's All Forget About Mutants and Concentrate on Inhumans push. And while he still has the same power set, he's got a whole new job and a whole new look. Zafino ditched the white tights and green skirt for a more modern homeless chic look of a green hoodie, wife beater, and boot cut pants. This version of Karnak resembles the mad monk Rasputin, complete with a shorter beard rather than his old pencil mustache. Karnak still has markings on his face, and instead of the old green wrist and hand wraps, he now wears tattered bandages. I love his new look. It gives him this creepy, smart philosopher monk look while perfectly updating Karnak without losing the core of his classic look. Like his new duds, Ellis writes Karnak as a completely mysterious and borderline sociopath problem solver and martial arts master. In the story, Karnak summoned by S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Phil Coulson from the Tower of Wisdom, where that's his new gig, he's the caretaker of the Tower of Wisdom, to help track down a kidnapped New Human, which is the name of those recently transformed by the Terrigen Myths after Black Bolt released them on the world in the pages of Hickman's 2013 Infinity miniseries. Their mindful Matt. Editor's note. The character <laughs> is just as strange, intelligent, and badass as ever, but Ellis kind of writes him like this grumpy Mr. Spock with some excellent dialogue. Zafino, who is the son of Jorge Zafino, drew Winterworld back in the day. Oh. Artist I really like. Really stunning on art here. He has a very minimal sketch style that colorist Dan Brown keeps very tight with heavy color and zip-a-tone dots for shading. There was, there was one panel, though, where Karnak either stops a bullet or sidesteps it. No, he, he slices it in half with his finger. Is that what happened? I couldn't really tell what was happening. I got confused. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. The action was a little unclear. Still, a very, very good-looking comic with a fresh and interesting look that gave it the mystic kung fu mystery that it really needed. My only complaint is it seemed like a very quick read, but I am looking forward to more from this team and the new Karnak. I understand why it was kind of sparse, because they're trying to impress upon you how strange this person really is and how quiet and thoughtful he is and it did work very well just made for kind of a quick read regardless given this a buy it really excited to see where this goes you know i'm conflicted okay because 
I really wanted to love Karnak, okay. and I was expecting to love Karnak. And when I finished Karnak, I went, that was kind of just okay. Really? Yeah. I feel like Ellis ended the issue, like the issue ended like five pages early. <laughs> I'll give you that. It was definitely it seemed like, like, it seemed like, oh, wait a minute. What? This is the end? Yeah, it was definitely like, and the action begins. We'll see you next month. <laughs> right. Like, whoa. <laughs> oh, right. Wait a minute. Uh, I thought that the art was gorgeous if it was like a distant scene shot or a close-up of a character okay. that the artist cared about. Sure. But if you look at every other character in the book, every other piece of uh, background in the book... It's all very loosely drawn. And in fact, unless the script specifically identifies the people, it's unclear who Karnak is even addressing half the time. I thought that the sequential storytelling was poor. Really? But the actual drawing, you know, when he sat down and he really like that opening page where it's like, here's the tower. Very cool. Gorgeous. Yeah. Just gorgeous. And then, yeah, there are shots of Karnak. That are just very well done. Otherwise, I thought it was just too sparse. Okay. The art was too sparse. And I thought that the storytelling had some pacing problems. Hmm. I want to like it. I really like Warren Ellis. And it's not like I'm not going to read it. Sure. Because let's be perfectly honest. We're going to get six issues of this. And then someone else is going to take it over. And then it'll get canceled. Quite because possibly. there's no way in hell that anybody but Warren Ellis can make a Karnak ongoing marketable. Probably. Yeah, I got to give it a skim it because it just didn't seem fully cohesive to me. It okay. felt kind of half-assed. That's fair. Why don't we talk about your half-assed review, Joe Patrick? What do you say? Matt Bomb, show me your half-assed. <laughs> I think that's against the uh, terms of use on Periscope. <laughs> you can't show half an ass they on Periscope. They can report our broadcast. This week, I'm reviewing Black Magic number 1 from Image Comics, written by Greg Rucka, with art by Nicola Scott, and color assists by Shiara Arena. Or Arena. I don't. There were no accent marks on any of this. So Kyara. I, I picked this book and I didn't even think about it being Halloween. Oh, uh-huh, look at that. Mm. Here's the solicit: The Hammer Falls this Halloween from New York Times bestselling Eisner Award-winning writer Greg Rucka and superstar artist Nicola Scott. Detective Rowan Black works robbery homicide for the Portsmouth PD, but her greatest mystery is the truth about herself. Both who she has been and who she will become. Yet there are others in Rowan's world with very long memories. And the power that one person holds, another will always covet. It seems kind of pointless to write a review of a comic by a pair of talents like Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott. Those names alone take it automatically to skim it territory at a minimum. Right. That's without even cracking the cover. But it's the job I signed up for, so here we go. Somebody's got to do it. I would have told you that about Karnak, too, but look how that worked out. Yeah, fair enough. Rowan Black is a detective torn between her personal and professional lives, between commitments to the Force and the Coven that she's a part of. She a witch. I believe it's pronounced Coven. Coven. <laughs> and because of that conflict, she seems distanced from both. It's a very familiar trait found in a lot of Rucka's best characters like Renee Montoya and Forever Carlisle from Lazarus. That's not to say it's stale. Rucka excels at writing characters like this, and Rowan Black, witch detective, is compelling in her own right. 
Rucka transitions from a late night ritual to a tense hostage negotiation, showing Rowan in action as the two aspects of her life collide. Rucka and Scott give us a complete story in this one issue, but it does set the stage for the series going forward. It's like a really good pilot episode that yeah. leaves you wanting more. That's exactly how I felt. As opposed to a lot of pilots where you watch it and go, man, that was not as like, good. I hope they can fix this. <laughs> like when you when you watch when you're watching a show that you love and then you go back and watch the pilot, you're like, oh God, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that show made it. The art by Nicola Scott is simply stunning. I don't know how I missed it in the promotion leading up to the release, but I didn't know the book was going to be in black and white. The beautiful gray tones strengthen Scott's line art and only the most subtle hints of color creep in like the pale yellow light of the moon that's overlooking the Coven's occult ritual or the bloodshot eyes of the hostage taker demanding to confront Rowan. I like how you're sticking with Coven. Yeah, you know. (laughs) Did you ever see American movie? No. Where they made the fake documentary about the two dorks that were making the horror movie and they kept saying Coven instead of Coven. (laughs) That was the joke. I don't think this book would have looked as good in full color. Scott's characters all feel real with distinguishable faces and body types. And she also has a real knack for facial expressions that come through in this issue. I, I really like that. They just made her look like a normal woman. She's not stacked. She's not ripped up. She's attractive, but sure, like, sure. she has a pretty regular body type. It's a good yeah, choice. And all the characters in this book yeah. are very distinct in that way. Definitely. You know, none of them are, well, I guess there was like burly main detective dude, but right. yeah, he's, you know, he's just a big dude. I went into black magic. Number one, already prepared to love it. It was even better than I was expecting. This was a great read. I can't wait to see the story progress. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I'm with you. I really like the black and white effects. It, it lent a very creepy feel to the opening of the book. And then yeah. something happens in the opening that rips you out of it. Right. And just let you know, this is not going to be that over serious, like magic book that you're used to reading. Like these are people. Sometimes people get right. phone they calls have lives. and they've got to go do something. Yep. <laughs> and, and it was so well done. I, I think that sold me on the whole rest of that book, that moment. So I was like, oh man, what are we go- doing here? And I was like, nope, Greg Rucka knows what he's doing. Yeah. This is another fully realized, really cool heroin piece. And I can't wait to read more of it. I thought there was one panel in particular where the color really exploded. And I don't, I don't want to give anything away. Right. And no pun intended. You'll see what I'm getting to when you read it, <laughs> but it was very cool looking. And it's, it's an explosion. <laughs> yeah. Very cool looking. I enjoyed the hell out of this. Giving it a huge bite. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Karnak and a double buy it for Black Magic. After your coven finishes there, Sam Hain writes, Nerve strike us with your thoughts on these comics. Over at the THN forums. We need the skull for the seance, he says. Digging up a body takes no time, and this cemetery has been abandoned for a century. And now here we are hauling ass out of what turned out to be a cursed graveyard with wailing specters hot on our heels. I swear, if I get drunk to hell for this... Shut up and beat, beat your cry, baby! While we review ten more of this week's new comics, there is a ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! Go! 
Titans Hunt, number one, DC. <laughs> Dan Abnett, Paolo Sequeira, and Geraldo Borges. Or Geraldo. Or Geraldo. <laughs> Geraldo Borges have the unenviable task of retconning a version of the original Teen Titans into new 52 continuity, and the results are kind of mixed so far. Sort of like everything they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's not that this was bad. In fact, I did kind of enjoy it. But not a lot happened, and it's hard to understand what they're really going for when any past continuity they revive is going to be a skewed version. Like, they just introduced Wally West in the New 52, and so he cannot be present for this. Yep. And so it only serves as a reminder that they think that they're giving you what you want, and they're trying to trick you into it. Right. But they're not. They're sort of like, hey, old guys, remember when something sort of like this happened? Right. But not really like this at all? <laughs> and when... Uh, when people say, oh man, I miss all the history of the Teen Titans in the New 52, what they really mean is I miss the history of the George Perez, Marv Wolfman, right. New Teen Titans, and what we're getting is the original, like, Nick Cardi Teen Titans from the 60s. Pretty much. That's fine, and I'm sure I'll see it through to the bitter end, but for now, I'm giving Titans Hunt a skim it. Leave it from me. Uncanny Inhumans, number one from Marvel. Charles Soule continues his Inhumans runs without anything to bring new readers up to speed. It was even a little shocking for me. Black Bolt is still looking for his son, Medusa is still running around with the new humans, and Hank McCoy, X-Men's Beast, is there for a reason, I'm sure. Presumably to figure out why the Terrigen Mists affect mutants, but we haven't seen or heard about that yet, so I guess we'll find out. Oh, and the Human Torch shows up at the end for a twist that also might make more sense after the end of Secret Wars. Steve McNiven's name is on the cover, but apparently he's just the inker? No. And Jay a, Leaston is a, a penciling It was a typo. Oh, was it? Yeah, Marvel confirmed it was just a typo. Okay, it did. I will say his art looked a little different. It wasn't the normal Steve McNiven. Still good, just not what I was expecting. This story is still not grabbing me, and I'm sorry, but we it's hard to launch stuff like this if there's going to be all this stuff that leads into it that sets up the story that's happening. Did you read that Zero issue that came out like six months ago? Yeah, but even that was like real fuzzy because of some stuff that I assume is going to happen in Secret Wars. Uncanny Humans is getting a skimmit from me. Art Ops, number one from Vertigo. Writer Sean Simon teams with legendary artists Mike and Laura Allred for a bizarre new series where art is alive and sometimes needs to be put into witness protection. <laughs> There's way more to it than that, of course, but this was an interesting first issue with some amazing art by the Allreds, no surprise there. I'm not so sure I love the cast, and some things could have used a little bit more explanation. Art Ops, number one, gets a skim it for now, but I'll check out a couple more issues for sure, and I'm really enjoying this little Vertigo Renaissance I so am far. too. I am too. Wes Craven's Coming of Rage, number one, from Liquid Comics. This new series is billed as being written by Wes Craven and Steve Niles, which is strange because Wes Craven is dead. According to the solicit, the story came to Craven in the form of a joke. A zombie, a werewolf, and a vampire walk into a bar. It seems to be a three-way buddy story based on said joke, where the zombie and the vampire meet an unsuspecting new werewolf, and senseless violence ensues. Bad story with even worse dialogue and bad art. I get the feeling Niles is phoning Coming of Rage in. Did I mention the title was stupid, too? Leave it. I mean, Wes Craven could have written this before he died. I guess. Cyrus Perkins in the Haunted Taxi Cab, number one from Action Lab. This was a really pleasant surprise from writer Dave Dwanch creator of Double Jumpers, which oh, yeah. is a book I loved. Mm -hmm. I won't spoil too much about the plot, but I think you can figure it out from the title. Cyrus and the supporting cast are all likable. The story is really well paced. 
The figure drawing from artist Anna Lencioni is very charming, but there are no backgrounds in like 80% of the panels in this book. Maybe they forgot to put them in. Which makes it look like it takes place in a post-apocalyptic version of New York City that's been abandoned. <laughs> it is like the most sparse version of New York City I've ever seen. Still, I really enjoyed this. I look forward to more. Cyrus Perkins and the Haunted Taxi Cab. Who knew? Buy it. There you go. Cognetic, number one from Boom. James Tynan, the four, and Eric Donovan, the team that brought us Mimetic, get back together to tell another strange apocalypse story that this time sees a psychic collective gathering followers to bring about the suicidal end of humanity. There is a very creepy intro here that instantly had me hooked and some truly disturbing stuff happening on the roof of the Empire State Building that I've got to see explained. Great art and a fantastic twist in the end here, too. Nicely done again, boys. I am giving Cognetic a bite. Not connected to Mimetic, right? Not at all. Just another story. I really liked Mimetic. I did, too. It was fun. Weird World, number five from Marvel. This one's for you, Tim Benson, who needs to learn that just because we don't talk about a book every month, it doesn't mean we don't yeah, love it. Yeah, like people don't tune in to hear us repeat ourselves. It's still great. Jason Aaron and Mike Del Mundo wrap up what in my mind was the absolute best Secret Wars tie-in. Agreed. That had absolutely nothing to do with Secret Wars. Totally agreed. Archon leads a team of Weird World's goofiest warriors against the forces of Morgan Le Fay as Battle World crumbles around them. Spoilers, Secret Wars comes to an end and everything's okay afterwards. (laughs) Try not to think too hard about how the end of this issue shines a huge spotlight on how Marvel dropped the ball with this event and just let it wash over you. Weird World was amazing. It gets a buy it. The return of Crystar, Crystal Warrior. I know. so weird. A comic book that I thought only (laughs) I bought in the 80s. I think I got it in one of those like Toys R Us 3 packs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And promptly threw it away. Black Hood, number six from Archie slash Dark Circle. After hearing several reviewers praising writer Dwayne Swierzynski's Black Hood, I decided to give this one shot drawn by guest artist Howard Chaikin a look. Now that the first storyline concluded in the last issue, Greg, who is the Black Hood, is in rehab in Mexico, but even there he can't help but find trouble and corruption. A fellow addict is being threatened by the Mexican drug cartel, but all is not what it seems. I've got to go back and give this series another try because this one shot was a really great crime comic read. Excellent art by Jake and his usual. Black Hood gets a revisit it and a buy it. I really liked Black Hood. Yeah. The first several issues. Yeah. See, I only read the first one. I think Michael Gatos drew it. He drew the first storyline, yeah. Yeah. The literally Howling Commandos of S.H.I.E.L.D., number one from Marvel. Get it? Because they're monsters. (laughs) Everything else got an all-new or an uncanny. Why not the literally Howling? (laughs) The literally Howling. (laughs) LMD Dum Dum Dugan leads a team of the Marvel Universe's, quite frankly, (laughs) monsters in a secret S.H.I.E.L.D. team that deals with supernatural threats. I got pretty excited for this title thanks to a backup story in one of Marvel's overpriced anniversary bonanzas and i thought that the first issue was a ton of goofy fun it's almost kind of a throwback action adventure story like it's not complicated there's no like super secret conspiracy ties to a dozen different books right it's just like here's a guy who's a robot here's a team of monsters that are kind of shitty and they go and they fight monsters. <laughs> they just push you out of the plane from there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a fun romp. Yeah, it's did. got really great art by Brent Schoonover and Nick Filardi on colors. Howling Commandos number one gets a buy it. Awesome. 
Hench Girl, number one from Scout Comics. Kristen Goodsnook's webcomic Hench Girl gets the print treatment here, and it's my first taste of her irresistible superhero spoof about a villainous henchwoman with a heart of gold. Both the art style and the storytelling very much reminded me of Brian Lee O'Malley, who we both love. This was a cute, tongue-in-cheek look at the life of an average henchwoman trying to make a living in Crepe City as part of the Butterfly Gang. Crepe City. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, well-written, cute, suitable for all ages. Henchwoman was a pleasant surprise starring a very believable heroine. Take note, DC Comics, because Hench Girl gets a huge buy it. your ludicrous speed round and is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound that hench girl makes when her roommate surprises her by setting her up for a job interview at Craplebees, which is pronounced crapplebees <laughs> after you're done grave robbing head over to the thn forums to give us your opinions of these and all of the comics you read this week Now that we've retrieved the skull of Jack Kirby, we can return to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our buddy, Clarion the Witch Boy, will lead us in an unholy seance, where we will be contacting the King Kirby himself to gain the secrets of next week's comics. Joe, while I ready the Newsboy Legion blood sacrifice, why do you tell the kids what Jack's ghost has you excited to read next week? Clippa dippa, no! <laughs> Next week, I'm excited to read James Bond, number one from Dynamite, written by Warren Ellis with art by Jason Masters. Here's your solicit. James Bond returns to London after a mission of vengeance in Helsinki to take up the workload of a fallen 00 section agent. But something evil is moving through the back streets of the city and sinister plans are being laid for Bond in Berlin. I really like James Bond. I love James Bond. I'm not like a super fan or anything. You know, I haven't seen all the movies. I've seen them all. I haven't read any of the books. I've read a few. But there's something about this thing coming up from Warren Ellis. Aside from the fact that it's by Warren Ellis, it doesn't look like any Dynamite book I've ever seen. No. It looks really stunning. Yeah. And I kind of like the idea that Ellis is doing a version of James Bond that's more true to the books. Apparently, from what I've read... The book version of James Bond is a lot more flawed than the kind of definitely godlike movie version. Definitely. And, and I, think, I that's think that's kind of interesting. Perfect character for Warren Ellis to write. Yeah. Perfect. And I can't stress enough. Like you can look at a lot of dynamite books and I don't mean this to be offensive, but it happens with a lot of publishers. You can look at a dynamite book and, and go, yep, this is a dynamite book. Yeah, I can tell. Definitely. They have a house style, but this just, Looks like nothing they've ever done. He looks really good. Matt, what's your pick for next week? Ask me who my favorite Avenger is. Who's your favorite Avenger? Hercules! Yeah! Number one coming next week from Marvel Comics, written by Dan Abnett with art by Luke Ross. 32 pages for $3.99. It was about goddamn time that Herc Daddy came back to the Marvel U. Here's your solicit. Still going strong. The world's first superhero decides it's time to get back in the game. Protect the innocent, defend the world, and generally remind everyone why he set the mark for heroism in the first place. Make way? Hercules is back! The greatest son of Olympus is thrown into the fight against the threats ancient and modern, and Hercules demonstrates that a legend, no matter how strong he is, survives on his experience and his ability to move with the times. A modern world, an age-old hero, and blockbuster action. I love Herc. I like Dan Abnett. Love Luke Ross. And yeah. I want this to be so good. I want everyone to read it. 
please, so we can have an actual running Hercules book. Please, please, please pick up Hercules next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The THN trade of the week for all of you uh, people that got sick of waiting. It's the Sandman Overture hardcover from Vertigo, written by Neil Gaiman, art by J.H. Williams III and Dave Stewart. 224 pages for $24.99. This is where Matt Bomb says it's a steal. It's a steal. I'm not going to read the solicit. You know what it is. It's a prequel to Sandman 25 years after Sandman first launched and changed comics as we know it. Joe's been gushing about it for five years now while it came out, I think. <laughs> right. Uh, it's coming out in a very nice hardcover edition that's collecting issues one through six plus bonus material. If the year at a time wait between issues was too much for you, now's your chance. Go back and see what we were talking about when we reviewed number six a couple of weeks ago. Yep. It's awesome. See now, Joe, other than Flippa Dippa almost escaping and B flicking up a ton of blood, I thought that went swimmingly. If you'd like to learn... No pun intended. <laughs> if you'd like to learn how to contact the dead through blood magic, head over to the THN forums, and while you're there, be sure to let us know we are excited to read next week. I did not know that you were going to make a Flippa Dippa joke when I, know. I said that it earlier. It just happened. It just happened. <laughs> It has been a while, but it's time for Joe and I to step back into the creator's studio where we interview a real, live, working comic maker person. Today, Joe sits down with Josh Howell, creator of The Fierce and the Fading, which just got picked up by our favorite Canadian comics company, Underbelly Comics. Can you name another one? Um, yes, I can. Chapter House Comics, oh, publishers of Captain Canuck. There you go. All right. Nailed it. <laughs> Josh is an Omaha native with a passion for storytelling. He's published a novel and some poetry in the past, but this is his first venture into the world of graphic novels. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about The Fierce Are Fading. Uh, okay, well, The Fierce Are Fading is uh, it was originally supposed to be a novel that I was writing. I was working on it for a couple of years, changing things back and forth, and uh, I just kept on hitting walls. And, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a huge fan of comics. And I love graphic novels, especially indie stuff that aren't like the main titles. So uh, somebody told me I should try to, you know, convert it over to a graphic novel format, and I kind of rolled with it. So what's the story? Like, what's the what's the plot? Without spoiling too much. Sure. Well, it starts out just a uh, kind of an FBI thriller. Um, uh, Agent Riley Harper is tracking down a serial killer in Seattle. Um, and nothing spectacular about it. Just a, a, a lot of people are dying. They finally find the person and opens it up to a more sci-fi premise. Uh, the the serial killing is connected to an organization that nobody knows about, but somehow it's connected to all the major businesses around the world, and it's prepping for something that's going to change the course of history, and they're trying to stop it. Awesome. So who's drawing this book? Uh, well, the artist is uh, Ilaria Apostoli. She's out of Italy. I found her online when my previous artist uh, fell through, and she's 20 years old. She's never been published before, but she's just fantastic, so I had to go with her. Yeah, I've seen the preview art on the Kickstarter. It looks really good. Yeah, I, I was surprised that, that no one's kind of found her before. She's She's doing one other project, but it's just kind of a couple pages in a book. And this is her first kind of major commitment. 
So she's excited. She's a little worried about it, but I'm confident in art. I think it's just amazing. So no you, pressure. You looked at her picture and like swiped right, and that was it. You guys met. And like, <laughs> right, right. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I was cruising Tinder for chicks, <laughs> and I found this. Combo creator Tinder. Yeah, right. it's way more perverted. <laughs> so how did you end up hooking up with Underbelly Comics? Well, uh, I was over in uh, C2E2 uh, this year up there in Chicago, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Lawler, had actually got a book picked up by them. Yes. So I went over to check out their booth, told them about this book that I was writing and how I wasn't really sure how I could transfer it over to a graphic novel just because I can't draw to save my life. And uh, so they... You know, they, they kind of liked the, the initial premise and told me to type up a three-page summary of it. And once they read it, they, they said they fell in love with it and definitely wanted their brand on it. And uh, so they kind of pointed me in the direction to find the artist and go from there. You hear that, kids? Breaking into comics is that easy. You walk <laughs> up to a publisher's booth at a con and say, hey, I got this thing. And they say, okay, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it helps that they're only, you know, about two years old and... And they've, they've got really great benefits for creators. I mean, the percentages is, are just ridiculous. Uh, but they're obviously, they're getting a lot more pull. They've got about six, seven uh, starter projects up right now compared to the one or two they've had last year. So they're definitely getting more popular. Yeah, we talked to a guy about a project last year or the year before, uh, a werewolf book uh, that was coming mm-hmm. out that they were putting out. Uh, oh, and- yeah. And then we were super happy to see our friends Jeff and Tim get the Anywhere Man picked up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how does how does that work? Is, is the publisher running the Kickstarter campaign for you? Yes. So basically, I mean, obviously they approve the, the script and everything. Usually most of their projects come to them already done. Unlike mine, I can't draw, and, and most of the Kickstarter is going towards paying the artist. So once they approved it, um, they told me that the minimum amount it's going to cost to print, and we, we set up an agreement with the artists, and uh, yeah, they, they set it up. I provided them with the content, and, and they launched it. So what's your, what's your goal? What's the Kickstarter goal, I guess I should say? Sure. The goal is a little high. I mean, it's, it's $8,500. 6000 of that is going to go towards the artist. It's a 200-page comic, 30 page, or $30 a page, which is obviously extremely low considering she's doing, you know, all the artwork, uh, start to finish. Um, and then the rest of it, uh, the 2,500 will go towards printing and all the costs, you know, uh, uh, initiated with that. So none of it's going to be profit for us. We're just trying to get the book made and then hopefully it does well afterwards. Yeah. I'll spring you guys into future projects. I hope. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the rewards you've got going? Uh, well, the first couple are pretty basic. You know, I think there's like a two dollar one just for. Uh, we'll send you a thank you tweet. You know, showing our uh, our uh, appreciation. After that, there's a ten dollar uh, reward that you get the PDF version if you can't afford the shipping because it is shipping from Canada. The next one is eighteen dollars plus shipping for the first copy of the book. And then after that, we've got some high donor tiers where you can get uh, a. a piece of original art from Ilaria. We're going to ship it from Italy and then ship it to you. And then the, the highest tier is we'll actually draw a character to your likeness, name it after you or whoever you want to name it after and put them in the book. Can that character get horribly murdered? 
Uh, yeah, well, most the, likely. That's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So if you want to donate at the high level and have Donald Trump as a character in this book get horribly murdered, and maybe that's totally like, allowed. Maybe his genitals explode, you know? like <laughs> I, I, We could definitely do that. That would be so much fun, yes. Yeah, right. Awesome. <laughs> so are, are you finding the transition from writing prose to writing for comics challenging? How is it different for you? Oh, yeah. It was, it was definitely a, uh, a challenge. I, I've written a lot of stuff from, you know, short stories to poetry to I, I had one novel published. And I, I like it because, you know, you can put so much content on a page to describe the littlest of things. But you transfer over to, to comic writing and you got to tell so much with so little. You know, it's like the exact opposite. So um, I had to talk to some friends. I got some scripting software to help me out with the basics. And um, I, I contacted a couple other creators I knew and, and asked them for advice. And it took a couple months, but uh, I was able to transfer what I already had into that kind of format and make it work. Well, I know you've got your hands full with this project right now, but do you have anything that you're looking forward to in the future? Another project maybe? Um, yeah, I mean, this the Fears Are Fading is a contained story, but there are elements that could can continue on. So depending on how this does, I'd, I'd like to explore those other elements, the other sides to the story. Um, otherwise, I've got some other stuff that uh, that is in the very, very basic premise right now that I'd like to explore. But uh, right now I'm just focusing all my energy on this. Got your fingers crossed that DC comes calling at your door say josh you're the man for batman i hope you don't end up there i'll be honest josh <laughs> <laughs> yeah man you know i'm a big batman fan but i'd rather stay stay away from that you know <laughs> i hear you i hear you <laughs> good idea good idea so everything yeah. if everything goes according to plan the kickstarter's a success and all that when does the book come out when's the when's your projected release date well we're projecting the release to be in the middle of may um, I know it's kind of a stretch out there, but uh, I think it's uh, you know, it's a 200-page comic. We want to get the best uh, art we can get without rushing it. Uh, we're also going to explore some different forms of printing. Uh, the size of the book might not be the full size of a regular comic, just so we can get better paper and everything. Sure. So I think that's a, a generous amount of time to, to get to get the job done, but also to not make the you know backers wait too long for it. All right, get to Kickstarter and look for The Fierce Are Fading. It'll say that it's by UBC4, that's Underbelly Comics. We'll put a link in the show notes, but you jerks don't check it. So just go to kickstarter.com and search for the book. <laughs> Throw some support Josh's way. It's a great-looking book. He's got some good rewards going, and I want to read this thing, so let's make it happen. Josh, thanks for being on 2 Edit Nerd. Hope we get to talk to you again when the book comes out. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate the support. All right, buddy. That is it for the annual Halloween Metal Show. If you dig podcasts that extol the values of death, dismemberment, and extreme guitar shredding, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, please leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thanks to all of our donors. You keep the enlarged, horse-sized heart of this show beating. Gross. And if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at 2 nerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, 
It's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box, like Black Scorpion the 3 did last time. He sure did. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. It's usually hilarious. Sometimes there's some fart humor. Skype and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. If you dig the music you hear on the show, which I cannot stress enough, do not seek out this week. It's going to be terrifying. <laughs> you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to our buddy, Meatloaf. After more, well, I should say, a Meatloaf, not the Meatloaf. After He's the Meatloaf to me. <laughs> after more than a year of threatening to keel over on us, the doctors gave him some truly terrible news this week when they told him his blood clot was gone and the poor, miserable bastard is going to live. Word to you, Meat. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, because the retailer might just have a major cardiac event if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd wishing you a happy Halloween. And signing off! <laughs> <laughs>